Holy Father God, we're here to study your word and to be enriched by your Holy Spirit through the study of your word. And we just pray that you'll guide and bless our time together here as we come together in Bible study. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus. This, this starts back in Genesis uh, chapter 15, and that's where I am here on the slide, verses uh, 13 through 16. So this will set the, this will set the backdrop for, for what we see in Exodus 1 here in just a couple of minutes. And he said to Abram, Know surely that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them as slaves. Now that word, uh, watch me here. See, I just learned something. Watch me circle that thing out there. All right, I'm dangerous now, see. Uh, the Avedon, it means to, yours may say serve or whatever, but it's, it's a word that speaks of the servanthood uh, of a slave. So the Lord is, is telling uh, Abram after, now he's promised, he's already given him the promise he's going to be a great nation. Abram is an old man, you know, probably wondering how's this going to happen? It's going to take a long time, and, and the Lord here covers the whole thing in this little passage. Your descendants are going to wind up in strangers in a land that it's not theirs. God has given him the land of Canaan, so that means it's going to be in another land, not the land of Canaan. They'll be somehow displaced, and they're going to be there as slaves, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. But I will judge the nation whom they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Now, we're going to see, it's, it, you know, all the chapters that we're going to go, we're going to go through every word of Exodus. The Lord says in a couple of sentences what's going to take a period of 400 years plus the time of, of leaving. But we're going to see that everything the Lord, of course, says here uh, comes true. I will judge the nation whom they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. And as for you, now he speaks to Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete here. That last uh, part there is, is very interesting. This is, all right, consider the overall purpose of God. We just finished Genesis. And one of the things that I wanted to stay focused on in Genesis was to show how God was working His purpose of redemption through the lives of people who were otherwise in the world insignificant. Uh, places in the world that were insignificant places except in the purpose and plan of God. So the Lord, is He doesn't give us the history of, of the Sumerians or the, 
or what happens in Mesopotamia or the Egyptians or the Ethiopians or the Hittites. It's not his purpose to do all that. His purpose is to show us how, how he in this world keeps his word. So we're headed in every generation from the time of the promised seed of woman in Genesis 3, right after the fall of man, all the way through, we're headed, we're headed to the kingdom and then finally, uh, new heaven and new earth. We continue that trek that we saw so meticulously in Genesis. We continue that trek, and, and, God, and God gives us the updates all along. Here's, here's, how it's, here's, here's how it happened. This is how I did it. So the purpose of God is this. They're going to go away for 400 years. They'll be enslaved. Abram, you're not going to live that long, but you will die a very old age. You'll be gathered to your fathers. Everything's okay with you. But while you're, while you're away in death, awaiting your resurrection, I'm going to still be doing what I said I would do. And I'm going to bring those people and develop them as a people, as your descendants, and develop them and mold them and make them into a nation. Now, that's what happens. God separates them, puts them in a land. We saw this in Genesis. Puts them in a land where their kind of people was, were, were despised. They, they were shepherds. They were agrarian and pastoral people. And the Egyptians were very snooty about that. They didn't want to mix with them. So the Israelites are put in the land of Goshen, in the land of Goshen and divinely... Of course, God even worked it out through the mistreatment, what seemed to be the mistreatment of Joseph. But Joseph, as you remember, had the spiritual insight to say, you know, God meant it this way. God, God meant that I would have the dream that I had, that I would understand that he was doing something with my life. God knew that you were so, speaking of his brothers, you were so prideful and and, and jealous that you would just try to do away with me. But in all of that, put me in a place where finally I could be a blessing. So God brings them into the land of Goshen, works all of that out, and there they become a great nation. It takes 400 years and they, they become a great nation. But what else is happening? God gives us a piece of information here. In the fourth generation, they shall return here. That is the land of Canaan where Abram was when God said all these things. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete here. Now, that's interesting. Part of the purpose of God was to let the iniquity of the Amorites come to its fullness. God, knowing all things, knew that this land of Canaan belonged to the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The Amorites were going to have to be ultimately removed from that place. They were, they were not God's people. They were, they were wicked, pagan people worshiping false gods and so forth. And God knew that their iniquity would come to its fullness. I can't, I can't tell you why God says it that way or, or 
how it all works out the way that, that God saw that it would work out, but it did because God said, while you're over there, while your people are over there becoming a nation, I'm going to be overseeing what I need to oversee in this land to make sure that finally they'll be brought back to the land that is theirs. And in this case, he specifically says, they'll come back and Im Im implicit in the, in, the, in the context here is, they'll come back when I punish the Amorites at last in the fullness of their iniquity, which, which tells us when the Amorites stand before God in judgment someday, they'll be fully aware of why they have been judged and, and are being judged. All right, so let's, let's move on from there. Here is Abraham's journey. Ur is uh, right there, okay? That's Ur. Abraham, you follow those little dots right there all the way. They go to Haran. And then from there, make their way down into the land of Canaan. And here is where Abram uh, sojourns in, in that place that's really his place. So you see how close it is on this map uh, to where Egypt is over here, uh, your, your left. Abraham's little family would be developed into that land. God took him out of Ur, finally took him to the place where he would show him, which was the land of Canaan. Now, after this, we have Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, and Jacob's family and his sons, and they then, because of the famine, move from Canaan, which is where Abram was promised the land, all that land, and they make their way down into Egypt. Now, this uh, Nile Delta here, uh, the upper part of that is, is, the land of, is the land of Goshen. You'll see it here. The land of Goshen in that part of Egypt, it would be right there, uh, and that part of Egypt is where the Israelites were, and they were, by the divine purpose of God, because of the circumstances that existed, they were separated from the Egyptians. So the Egyptians are doing their thing through, those, through all that time, and the Israelites, they're, they're raising their flocks and doing their thing that they do, and what they do is offensive to the Egyptians, and so there's just this separation uh, that's, that's maintained during that whole time. But now, look at this. And this is as far as we're going to get tonight. And these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each man in his household came. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. For the most part, they're, they're grouped according to the wife or concubine uh, of, uh, of Israel, of, of Jacob. Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin. Of course, Benjamin was of Rachel. Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. So all of them, of course, except Joseph, who was already in Egypt. Uh, they're all mentioned here. God, through Moses in this writing, takes great care to make us understand that he knew exactly who they were, where they were. And then there's this great word here uh, that's used in, uh, 
in the uh, it's 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 that word right there in the in the hiss nefesh, and all of the souls. Now, when it says something like that, you know that God is taking great care to watch over His people. This is just a very warm, personal statement. He names them, even groups them by, their, by the woman who had them, and all of the souls who were the descendants of Jacob were 70 souls. For Joseph was already in Egypt. Seventy souls. God is laying here the foundational truth that he will accomplish what he promised to accomplish in making the descendants of Abraham a great nation. But he makes the point. When they came to jo Joseph was already there. But there were 70 of them that came to where Joseph was. There were only 70, if you want to look at it that way. There were only 70 of them. They made a very arduous trip, pretty difficult trip in that day, to come all the way to where Joseph was, where God had already prepared a man. He even prepared the heart of Pharaoh to put Joseph in charge of all that stuff. And because Joseph endeared himself to the Pharaoh and to the people, uh, Pharaoh gladly accepted uh, Joseph's family who otherwise would have been uh, rejected because of the kind of lifestyle they lived. God is in heaven ruling in the hearts and the affairs of men to take care of the souls of his people. That word, that word up there in the face, that word is a it's, it's just a beautiful word. It speaks of the passion, the emotion, the personality, the essence of the existence of that person, his soul. And, and the word is used here. All the souls were 70 souls, the descendants of Jacob. For Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, that one statement, for Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, we think back in, in the last part of, uh, of Genesis, all of the things that Joseph said, well, all that he went through, all of the difficult, you know, he sold into slavery, left for dead by his brother, finally sold into slavery. Uh, they thought he was dead, thrown into prison because he was, he was, he was accused wrongfully, uh, suffered in prison, all those years in prison, the things that happened to him. All the while, however, God would have him at the right place at the right time to accomplish this thing right here. The fact, <laughs> the fact that he superintended a tremendous activity for a period of those seven years and seven years, for, for all that, he, over, he was the overseer of a, of a very difficult task to save Egypt. The fact that these thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Egyptians were saved, the economy of Egypt was saved, the Pharaoh uh, maintained his might and power, even became more powerful because as the people needed more grain, they, they turned the deeds, their animals and their deeds and everything over to Pharaoh and he, 
he wound up coming out of that thing like smelling like a rose. In spite of all of that that happened in the world and all of those, how many thousands of other people, I don't really know. I'd have to research and think of what the, maybe two, three million people, I don't know, back in that day in Egypt. Uh, all of those people's lives were affected by Joseph, but that's, that's, that's almost a footnote to these 70 souls right here. Because these 70 souls bring with them the promise of redemption uh, for God's people. And of course we know the one is Judah, the one who carries that promise. 70 souls. All that he did for Egypt was great and wonderful. But in heaven, the noteworthiness of those 70 souls is what God was focused on. And that's what he says here. Nothing is said here about all that Joseph did. At this point, nothing is said about all that Joseph did for Egypt. Nothing, that's, that's, that's not the point here. The point is that God made that promise to Abraham. God is leading the world to that, finally, that lonely, sublime figure on the cross who then, through death, burial, and then resurrection and ascension and second coming, will forever establish uh, the kingdom and his own people uh, that we might be with him forever. But it, here, the whole focus, amazingly, is on those 70 souls. Something is said about the Amorites. Didn't say anything about the souls of the Amorites, did it? Didn't say anything. Things will be said about the Egyptians. They're not addressed the way God addresses these people here. This is, this is the story of redemption. This is the story of the Bible. This is the main thing. All of the wars and the pharaohs and, and all the kingdoms of the world and everything else, those things, those, those events of history, those people of history, they're just an asterisk, if that much, in the purpose of God. He uses them as he sees fit for the moment that the souls of his own might be carried finally to ultimate redemption. That's what it's all about. Now, here, here is where we see what happened. This, is, this lays the, the, the foundation then of the rest of the, of the events of Exodus. Joseph and all his brothers died and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and grew exceedingly great and the land was filled with them. Now, I'm not going to go into all these words up here, but let me just summarize what, what God the Holy Spirit is teaching us. The blessing of God was on Israel for those 400 years. And when it says they were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and grew exceedingly great, not only is it talking about their numerical expansion, that they grew to a, a nation of nearly 3 million people during those 400 years, it isn't just talking about that. It also, it also leads us to the understanding that through God's blessings, these people were becoming significant right there in the heart of Egypt. Now, Egyptians were proud, and uh, we're going to see that another pharaoh comes along and 
He doesn't have the same warmth toward the memories of Joseph that the previous pharaohs did uh, and obviously becomes, becomes jealous, concerned, or whatever uh, about, about the increase, the fruitfulness, not just numerically, but, but they, they were beginning, uh, I believe what it's saying here is they were beginning to have, they were beginning to become a force economic. Now they didn't have, it, it was never, it was never, at this point in their history, it was never their point to think of themselves, I don't think, as a nation who needed a king. Everything had always worked well for them in the previous line of pharaohs. So it wasn't, it, it wasn't ever their thought. But this promise of a deliverer, Moses, this promise of a deliverer becomes an item of concern. And, and the events uh, and the mindset of the day because of jealousy and uh, fear of the Israelites causes the Egyptians to do what they do. Why? Because I think if we went back in that day, we would see a tremendous group called Israel in the land of Goshen who could have been their own nation, prosperous, knew how to, ha knew how to, uh, knew how to develop things and, and make things increase. Uh, they had the blessing of God on them. And uh, the, the, the world can't understand <laughs> the blessing of God. The world thinks they have to, they have to take, they have to take it for themselves. Uh, and, and through that misunderstanding, all of this is going to take place in the book of Exodus. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop it there, but leave it with the thought that everything that happens is going to be one tremendous thing built upon another that we will see in the course of events God developing his people deeper and deeper and deeper with a, with a deepening understanding of what redemption is all about. You know, up until this time, it was just, you know, uh, bless his holy name. We, we serve the God of, we, we worship the God of Abraham. Uh, a lot of things they don't know. Some of the things they knew, a lot of things they don't know, but it's going to develop their uh, their, their understanding and knowledge of what redemption is all about, now God sees fit to develop it in their lives and what he does for them in the deliverance and then, of course, in the construction of the tabernacle, which is, a, to me, a, a very important uh, event, a process that, that takes place uh, in the book of Exodus. So now we not only are thinking about... Uh, the sovereignty of God and God's purpose for redemption, but it's going to be to, it's going to really strengthen more into the into the story of redemption and the methodology of redemption because now and I've said this a lot of times they're going to have the law they don't have the law yet they're going to have instructions on what to do when they break the law. Uh, sacrifices and altars and all these things. Well, they've, they've never had to really think about that before. And without the law, they couldn't have really understood God's definition of sin and God's perfect standard. 
They're going to receive the law. Then they're going to get the tabernacle. And the outfitting of the tabernacle is, is so detailed, and it comes from heaven. Uh, it's, it's so important. And this is my view on this. Everything about those rituals and the tabernacle and the outfittings of the tabernacle and every sacrifice that's made, the altar, the altars that are built in the Holy of this is like, this is like a coloring book in kindergarten. You want to learn, you want to teach a kid, at least in my day, I don't know how what they do now. They probably plug a wire in their ear and turn on a computer and the kid walks out of the room reading a book. I don't know, but <laughs> in my day, if you wanted to study the letter B, you know, there, you'd color a picture of a ball or something like that and try to keep it in the lines, <laughs> which was hard to do. Um, that's what all of this is at this point. It's a coloring book. It's like God's people now are emerging from where they've been and they're going to kindergarten. And they're beginning to learn more stuff. And everything that happens in the tabernacle, in and out of the tabernacle, all of that is the coloring book that they're using. And this gives them a deeper and better understanding of what God is doing for His people. We'll stop it there, and God willing, we'll, we'll pick it up there. That worked all right, didn't it? Uh, pick it up there next time. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the story of redemption, for the great care that you've taken for your people through every generation. We're thankful that it's been recorded by your prophets and apostles, that we can read it, that we can ingest it in our minds, our hearts, and our souls. We can study it over and over again and get more and more out of it. We're thankful for the opportunity together as your people to study your word. Bless us and help us as we go through this life that we might live our lives pleasing to you and that we might be aware of our call and our commission to tell others of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.